Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, we've just come through... uh the Christmas season, we love the story of Jesus born in the stable and they laid him in the manger and the shepherds coming to worship him and all of those things that, that go with it. it, just, it it's just such a sweet story and it just kind of uh, really foreshadows the whole idea that Jesus comes as this meek and lowly person that calls the weary to himself. It's kind of like the Bible verse that I read this morning uh, in Matthew 11. I think it's verse 25 that says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, who today doesn't need to come to a God, a Savior like that. I mean, life is hard, it's tough, it's, it's discouraging, we're weary, and, uh, you know, you want to come to someone that is meek and lowly, that is just going to put their arms around you and love you and show you compassion and all of that stuff. And so that's, that's the Jesus we always want to kind of focus in on. But the truth of the matter is, Sometimes we can take a Jesus like that for granted, can't we? He's kind of like the, uh, the little teddy bear that uh, we snuggle up to when we're, uh, you know, discouraged or distraught. By the way, did you know that 40% of adults, we won't ask anyone to raise hands, did you know that 40% of adults sleep with a stuffed animal? I am so glad that I am Vicky's stuffed animal, okay? <laughs> we... we, we we, we have a queen-size bed, and there ain't room for anyone else in there but the two of us, okay? Uh, but, you know, when we think about Jesus sometime, and he's that meek and lowly, and by the way, if you sleep with a stuffed animal, that's your business, and I, no comment at all, okay? No shame here, just keep your stuffed animal, but uh, just remember. Um, but here's the deal. When you got Jesus as that stuffed animal, or maybe as that passy, one of our grandkids is, is being forced to give up his passy this week because he fell and his little front tooth is loose, and the pediatrician said, hey, take away the passy, otherwise the, loose, the tooth's not going to uh, firm up. But, you know, if Jesus is that stuffed animal, that passy, that gentle and meek thing that we love to snuggle up to when we have a need and we're hurting and, and life is sour, he's pretty easy to kick to the curb or leave in the closet or leave behind when life is good, when we don't have any needs. Uh, you know, fortunately, the Bible gives us the 360 view of Jesus. We focus in, particularly at Christmas, on the gentle, meek, and lowly. But for the last, uh, you know, back in the fall, we started it. We started a series 
of studies through the book of Revelation, and we called it uh, Jesus Revealed, because the book of Revelation doesn't give us a contradictory view of Jesus. It just enhances that view of Jesus, and if anything, Jesus isn't the meek and lowly teddy bear that can get kicked to the curb. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the the Son of God, the judge who is coming that you cannot ignore. And we've been focusing in on that, and uh, hopefully through it, we will have an even more complete view of just who this Savior is, of who this Lord is. Now, I've asked you to turn to Revelation 8, and it's been like four weeks since we've been in the book of Revelation. So let me just catch you up, okay? Just remind you of some of the stuff we, we started learning when we began this study about the 1st of November. Okay, the book of Revelation, what is it, okay? The book of Revelation is a vision of Jesus and what he will do seen and recorded by the Apostle John in about 95 A.D., while he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, and he was to write it up, record it, and send it to the seven churches of Asia Minor. That's what this book is. This is, this is an, uh, a, an old man, the last living apostle, John, recording for us the dream, the vision that he had one Sunday afternoon. For chapter 1 says, he saw this, on the Lord's Day, and he was commanded to write it up, and uh, we started walking through that, and uh, I think this is our seventh or eighth sermon on it, and so where are we? Well, starting in about chapter 4, not about in chapter 4, starting in chapter 4, John is invited in this dream He's invited up to heaven and commanded to go through a door. And when he goes through that door, he comes in to the throne room of God. And there he sees this magnificent scene of God the Father on the throne. And there's four living creatures surrounding him. And surrounding them is 24 elders. And then there Beyond that is this myriad of humanity, and they're all worshiping God the Father. And in that that vision, God the Father is holding a scroll, a document. And then the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who is, is pictured as a lamb, comes and and takes that scroll, and that scroll happens to be sealed up with seven seals. Remember uh, the olden days, a little wax seal. Some kind of a seal was on that scroll. This one had seven of them. And when you would break open one of those seals, part of the document would be revealed. You could see the content that was written there. You break open another seal, part more of the documents revealed. And it had seven of those. So when you got to the seven of those things, of those seals broken open, you could read the whole document. And what we did before we took our Christmas break 
was we saw in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, the content of that document that was revealed when the first six seals are broken. First seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal, sixth seal. The sixth seal, with each, with each seal, things just got worse and worse and worse. And you get to that sixth seal, it's an it's incredible earthquake. And all kinds of things have, have gone on. And if we took the time to add it all up, by this time, 25% of the people are dead. You know, if the world has 8 billion people, just in the revealing of those six seals, two billion people have died from war or famine or pestilence or something else, all as judgment being executed by God's treatment plan for the world, for the earth, for humanity. Well, that's where we paused. And now we're at chapter 8, and I want you to just have your Bible open. If you're using a phone and you want to uh, have the version that I'm using, I'm using a New American Standard. So I'd encourage you to have that open, because, and let's just walk our way through Revelation 8. What I want to do for you here is, is just so you get the whole picture, I don't want to read it to you. Look at what it says in verse 1, Revelation 8, verse 1. And when he broke the seventh seal, okay, so they've broken six of them, and now that seventh and final seal is broken, and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Verse 7. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers, and on a third of the springs of water. And the name of the star 
is called wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And then a fourth, the fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them might be darkened and the day might not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. And I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Whoa! 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 to all those who dwell on earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So let's just stop there. Go back to verse 1. just want to walk through this just to to get it in your head. And then we're going to stop and just kind of ask ourselves, okay, What's going on here, and what's really the point? Why do I need to know this? Verse 1, I'm calling this a pregnant pause. Okay, did you get it? The, the, The six seals have been opened. This document has, a lot of it's been revealed. With each seal, you could read more of the document. Finally, that last seal is broken, So in theory, you can see the entire document. See verse 1? The seventh seal was broken. And notice what it says. And there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, I just got to take it at face value. I think that there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. John didn't have a watch or a clock. He just said, it was like heaven held its breath for 30 minutes. And and the only thing I can make of that is that when they saw the rest of the document, when what was coming was revealed, it's like everyone was speechless. It's like... Oh, my goodness. And, and, and I, I think about that, and I think, you know, we were so consumed with the things here on earth. We're so consumed with what we got to do tomorrow morning and the appointments we have to make this week and the things we got to accomplish this week. Let me tell you, when heaven sees God's plan from the big picture, in the, in, the, in the big picture from start to finish, heaven is speechless. They pause. And, and, and it's like nobody, nobody, nobody knows whether to cheer or to cry. They're just in stunned silence. And John, too. Because remember, as we read through this thing, John spoke many times. He asked, hey, what's that? What's this about? Who's that guy? John. John is stunned. 
It's like everyone is catching their breath. And, and, and I guess I just wanted to put a, point that out and put a spotlight on it because I think we go way too fast in life. I know I do. And I just move on to the next thing. And it doesn't matter whether it's a mountain that I've got to tackle or just a little molehill I've got to tackle. That's my focus. You know, I'm very task-oriented. Just get that done, get that done, get that done, get that done. Best days of my life are the days that I take out a little post-it note and I write down the 15 things that i got to have to do. There is so much satisfaction in crossing off all of those things. Even if one of them is just mail that bill, you know, Contact that person, text that person, make that phone call, study that passage, write that document. And I'm so consumed with it, it's like, how does Richard feel? Well, it depends on how many things I crossed off my list. And if I get 13 or 14 out of the 15, man, I'm a happy man. You know, sometimes we just get so consumed with the things of earth. And I think that if we're going to take a lesson from heaven, it's like every once in a while we ought to have that little pregnant pause where we just stand back and say, wow, God, you are doing something. And we don't always see it. We don't always see it because I think sometimes we are so close to the action, we've got to step aside. We've got to move way up to the nosebleed section of the stadium and take the whole big picture of what God is doing. And then we might see the big picture. And certainly we've got to look at it from heaven's perspective to see it. But here at the beginning of of this chapter, I just wanted to emphasize, notice, when they saw it all, nobody could speak. Everyone was silent. Verse 2, and then he says, And I saw seven angels who were standing before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And what we're going to see is these seven trumpets that were given to these seven trumpeters, they are going to be judgments. Well, wait a minute, I thought we just had a whole bunch of judgments. Yes, now we're going to get seven more. And, and here's something I think that is really, really important. I never got this. I never got this till I, I, I actually went through Bible college and then even into seminary. So this is kind of one of those things that maybe you heard it, and if you have, you're lucky. I wasn't that lucky. I didn't learn this, even though I had read the book of Revelation many, many times. Here's how it all is arranged, okay? The seventh seal is the seven trumpets, And the seventh trumpet we're going to see in about four or five weeks is the seven bowls. You say, what are the bowls? Well, we're going to get to a portion where, you know, here the figure of speech is a trumpet, okay? You know, initially it's this document that has these seals on it that are broken open and they reveal a judgment or some more content of what's going to happen. When he opens that seventh seal, it's like, there's going to be seven more jump, uh, uh, judgments, and those seven s- judgments are announced by a trumpeter. Remember the olden days? You know, maybe you might see it if you ever pay attention to what goes on with King Charles and all that stuff. A trumpeter blows the trumpet, and then someone makes an announcement. You know, do 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 do. 
Here's the announcement. Here's the content. That's what the image is, okay? So it's like these seven angels are going to sound their trumpet, and after their trumpet is sounded, here's what's going to happen. Another one will sound it. Here's what's going to happen. You get to that seventh one. The seventh one isn't a judgment. It's seven judgments. And, and the image that we're going to see there is it's like, here's these guys that are containing, you know, have, have containers in their hands, bowls in their hands, pitchers, pictures in their, however you say it, the things that carry water. Uh, and, and, and they're going to dump it out on the earth. So if, if just as you lay out the book of Revelation, keep that in mind. The seventh seal is the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet is the bowls. Now back to it. Look at verse 3, because this is really cool, okay? So you got the seven trumpeters, seven angels that have been given seven trumpets that are about to sound those seven trumpets, and he's going to reveal a judgment in each one of them. And then he looks in verse 3, and it says, Another angel. Another angel came down and stood at the altar. Remember, he's in the throne room of God, and there's that altar that's there too. And he's holding a golden censer. Now, again, I, I didn't grow up in high church, so I had no idea what a censer was, so I, I had to look it up once. A censer is that container that holds burning incense. And, you know, if, if uh, the minister or the priest or whoever, you know, is of that particularly brand, particular branch, they, they've got that lit on fire inside that container and smoke is billowing out and, you know, if they, you know, have the right kind of potpourri in there, it smells good or it smells disgusting or it smells. It just smells, okay? And so here's this, this angel that has this sensor and, and inside of it is this burning incense that is not only putting out smoke, but it's putting out an aroma, so here's the another angel who comes down. He stands on the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hands. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and a, an earthquake. So you get the picture? Here's this angel. He comes down. He's carrying this, this golden censer. And inside of it is, is this burning incense. So smoke's coming out and that smoke is coming out and drifting up, and John says it was drifting up to God. God was getting the smoke in his face, so he was very aware of, of that. And then John says th th these are like the prayers of the saints. Now, let's just connect the dots back. If you've got your Bible open, maybe even still where you don't even have to turn the page, go back to chapter 6. Verse 9, when they broke open the fifth seal, when Jesus broke open the fifth seal, 
we found out that the fifth seal was the prayers of these people who had died because of their testimony for Jesus, and they're praying under the altar. They were under the altar praying, saying, God, when are you going to avenge our death? Here were people, and we put them in the time period of the tribulation. Here's here's Christians, just like you and me, but it's not referring to us. It's referring to Christians during the time of the tribulation. Here are Christians who have died because they were believers, because they had the audacity to say, no, I believe Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, the Lamb that took away the sins of the earth. He's who I'm trusting for my salvation. What what he's revealed is true. And no matter what you say, he says it's a sin, that's a sin. You know, I mean, and, and people didn't like that, and those people got killed. They were martyred for the faith. And evidently that, during the time of tribulation, is going to really accelerate. You know, every once in a while we hear about someone who dies, some missionary or some, some uh, person that dies because they're a believer. Rarely happens in this country, but it happens a lot elsewhere. We don't have to do too much imagination to see that it probably could happen in this country. Probably sooner than any of us would ever think. But it does happen. And evidently, during the tribulation, it's going to happen a lot, regularly. And so, maybe we can connect those prayers, that prayer, hey God, when are you going to avenge our death? With this over here. So maybe these prayers that are representative of this smoke going up to heaven, maybe they're the prayers of those martyrs. And what does verse 5 say? God said, it's happening now. And so you look at it, and there's peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. It's like all hell is going to start breaking loose. Because we're at the seventh seal. We're getting towards the end. And there's seven things that God's going to do. And we're going to find out there's seven more things that God's going to do. Now, before I move on, I just want to make a little point here, too. Just about three, four, and five. About what it says about prayer. And it kind of gives us a little bit of a definition of, or an example of what prayer really is. By the way, there's going to be a really incredible Bible study for the men on prayer. We're going to look at Tim Keller's book, walk through it over the next uh, eight, nine weeks and stuff. And if you're available on Wednesday nights, uh, 6.30, the guys, we're going to be going through Tim Keller's book on prayer. Uh, But uh, what is prayer? How is prayer pictured here? Prayer, prayer is like this thing I lay on the altar, and, and, and when you lay it on the altar, particularly in Old Testament Israel, that thing got burnt up and the smoke wafts up to God. But, but when I laid it on the altar, what was I doing? I was sacrificing. It, it wasn't like I was laying it on the altar and said, God, you have to do this. I want that house. I want that person. I want this thing to happen tomorrow. No, you, you, you're giving that to God. 
Yeah, you're letting your request be known. I'd like it to be that house. I'd like it to be that person. I'd like it to happen in this kind of a time frame. But God, I'm sacrificing it to you. And it's getting burnt up and consumed and going up to God who has that smoke in his face and has to deal with it and will deal with it. That's what prayer is. You know, we, we, we sometimes forget that, that prayer really is this, this act of worship, this, this, this sacrifice to God of that issue that's so big in my life, so concerning whether it's this relationship or this situation or this, this horrible thing that has happened and I'm asking God to intervene and fix it and heal it or raise it or whatever. It's like what I'm really doing is I'm laying it on the, sac on the altar of God and it's being consumed and God will deal with it. And I've totally surrendered to him that issue. That's those smoky prayers. Well, then you finally get to verse 6. And the first four angels start to sound their trumpets. And, and I just want to step through them, actually, rather quickly. Look at verse 7. The first one sounded, so blast of the trumpet. Everyone's paying attention. Here's what happened. Hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Uh, you know, people that are into climate and all that stuff will say, I mean, if something like that happened, no humanity would, would survive. Well, I think that's part of the point, is that that is going to change things enough. But, you know, you can look at that and, you know, it'd be kind of nice to just dismiss it and say, wow, things aren't going to be so great. I think this is, you can probably take this pretty face value. Uh, obviously, Things will grow back. The grass will turn green again. Things will happen. More trees will grow. But something's going to happen that will destroy a third of the veg vegetation. I don't know how it can be so specific and you just blow it off and say, well, that's just kind of figurative. You know, I, I think the logical thing is to say we don't fully understand how it's going to work, you know, because, yeah, we'll create some climate issues, change things, but still it's pretty, pretty uh, bad here. The second angel sounds, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. I mean, is this some kind of a comet? Or is this some uh, meteor that, that comes in and it hits the sea, and the, there's, there's evidently, I mean, is this literal blood, or is this some kind of a chemical thing that simulates blood? But the long story short is a third of the sea is like polluted, and a third of the life in the sea dies. 
you know, we, the sea, I mean, what, two-thirds of the world is covered with ocean. That's a lot. That's, that's major. The ships are destroyed, a third of them. Notice uh, in almost every one of these, it's a third of this and a third of that and a third of the others. I don't really know what to make of that, but that's just interesting that all of them have a third of things being affected. Obviously, that might mean that maybe a third of humanity is affected and maybe even dies. We'll take the world's population. There's 8 billion people now. These judgments have already killed off 2 billion of them. So now we're down to 6 billion. If a third of those get killed, now we're down to 4 billion. So in the course of going from the first seal to the third or fourth trumpet, the world's population is maybe cut in half, 8 billion down to 4 billion in the course of just 3, 4, 5 years. Verse 10, the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven. Then maybe this is the comment. And it's burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on a third of the springs of water. And, and the name of this star is Wormwood, which basically means bitter, sour, really sour. And a third of the waters became Wormwood or bitter. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So it's like the water supply is dramatically affected. and Water becomes, you know, more scarce. And then the fifth, the tw- verse 12, the fourth angel sounds. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were smitten so that a third of them might be darkened and the day might not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. Just exactly what's going on here, again, not really sure. I mean, is this that a third of the stars are just totally wiped out? Or is this more like an eclipse and a third of their effect? The language actually can go either way. I remember uh, six months ago, nine months ago or so, we were down in Fort Worth, and uh, it was a Saturday, and it dawned on us that that was the day there was going to be this huge eclipse. Not the big eclipse that we're going to have April 8th, right here in Texarkana, where it's going to get completely dark. Uh, But... uh, you know, there was a significant enough eclipse that here it was about noon, and you looked outside, and it looked like it was seven or eight at night when it was starting to, the sun was starting to go down. And we all went out, and fortunately our son-in-law had the, the special glasses, and so we looked at it, and you could see that, you know, a huge portion of the sun had been eclipsed out. It was still light, you know, you could still drive, didn't have to have your lights on outside, but it just kind of had that dim view. Even though there wasn't a cloud in the sky, it just kind of had that dim view like you'd have maybe on a cloudy day. And then you waited 15, 20 minutes and the sun passed. Or I guess it was the moon that passed and the shadow wasn't, wasn't on it there. And it got bright and sunny again. Maybe, maybe that's what's going on there. Don't, don't really know. Like I said, the language can go anyway. But, but here is this, this time. Remember the day Jesus was crucified? There was like this 
darkness that fell over the earth. And it wasn't just an eclipse, because it was something that went on from noon till three in the afternoon, three hours. Uh, no eclipse ever does that. That was something miraculous, supernatural that God did. But what did it do? It got people's attention, because all of a sudden, everything's dark, and it's sobering. So what have we seen here just in these four trumpets that have announced this judgment? I mean, there's still, it just goes on and on and on. There's more judgment, more discipline being meted out, more, more pain and suffering. And, and you can look at verse 13 and it says, whoa. These next three are really going to be bad. In fact, we're, going to, we're not even going to refer to them as trumpets. We're going to call them woes. Things are so bad. And, and just for time's sake here, we're, we're just, I'm just going to pause in, in the story. We'll pick it up here next week. But what I want to do is, is just take a couple minutes and, and ask ourselves, okay, what's the point? What, what is it that's happening here? And maybe, how, how do I respond? And I just want to point, point out two things. These are not really action items. It's just the, the action item is, think about this. If anything, the action item is, take a 30-minute silent pause and think about what God is doing. Because when we get that in our head, it will change how we live the rest of the day, how we live tomorrow, and how we approach all those things that are on our to-do list. Here's the thing. God is in the process of bringing about justice. You know, when we began this series back in November, I talked about how everyone is worried about justice, and there's all these people that are saying, am I getting justice? Is this group getting justice? If anyone deserves justice, it's God. And if anyone's going to get justice... If anyone's going to make all things right, bring everything into the proper arrangement, it is God. And this is God in the process of bringing it about. You know, sometimes I think we, we're, we're zealous for God. Probably in reality, we're not zealous for God. We're just zealous for ourselves because this is our opinion and we want everyone to know we're right and not wrong. And so there's a little bit of mixed motivation there going on there. But the truth of the matter is, this is, is a, what we've done here is just take a little slice of the story, and it's showing us that God is in the process of bringing about justice. What did Romans 12, 19 say? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God will make all things right. And as, as his children, as people who have, have staked their eternal future in what he said, we need to go back to that regularly and recognize that, that God is in charge and we can step back and take that pregnant pause, if you will, and see that God's in charge. And he is in the process of making all things right. You hear that expression today, you know, let's make sure we're on the right side of history. Let's make sure we're on the right side of history. 
it's God who is at work. And we, we might get to the point where, you know, we're part of those who have prayers on the altar that are wafting up saying, God, when are you going to avenge us? Like these people that come out of the sick fifth seal, these people here under the altar. I mean, we need to be on God's side of history. But here's something else I want to point out to you. And it's actually not in this chapter. I want you to skip ahead to chapter 9. One of the things we're going to begin to see next week is that it's that reminder that God is doing all of this to help people get prepared for Christ's coming. See, see, they blew it the first time Christ came. We just celebrated Christmas. What did Jesus preach? What did John the Baptist preach? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the king, the kingdom is at hand. Rather than accept him, they rejected him. Like I like to say, rather than put him on a throne, they put him on a cross. And so Jesus left with the promise that he would come back. When we get to chapter 19, we're going to see Jesus come back. And it's going to show us and demonstrate to us that one of the things God is doing through all this justice, through all this judgment, through all this discipline, is trying to get people to see the truth. Look at verse 21 of chapter 9. At the end of more stuff, John says, and they did not repent of the murders, nor the sorceries, nor the immorality, nor the thefts. It's like God did all of that, and here is humanity, sinful humanity, and rather than turning to God, they still persisted in their sin. What is God doing through these judgments? What is God doing through this discipline? He is trying to get humanity's attention to turn their hearts towards him. We don't like to think about it too often, but the truth of the matter is one of the things God does is use painful experience to get our attention to call us back to himself. I mean, he uses pain and suffering and bad times for lots of reasons. One of those reasons is because we've been that prodigal that went off and we need to come home. Again, God uses pain and suffering for many, many purposes. Many, many good purposes. And we always, you know, when we know enough, we like to embrace that because we'd never want to sit and think, I'm going through this because God's trying to get my attention because I've been that wandering prodigal living out in the pig pen. These people are out in the pig pen and God is calling them home. He's giving them opportunity to repent. And you know, I think it's just a good thing for all of us 
to sometimes sit and think, okay, when those hard things come, yes, God is equipping me so I can relate to other people that have hard times. Yes, God has given me an opportunity to see his faithfulness come through. But we got to also sit and say, God, am I going through this because I am far off? Because I have been, like we're going to see in, I think, chapter 16, shaking my fist in your face and saying, I will not worship you. God is giving these people opportunities just like he gives us opportunities. I don't know any parent that takes joy and pleasure in disciplining their child. But what do good parents do? They discipline their parent, their children. Sometimes, as the proverb says, pain trains. Love and kisses go down the drain. That's just kind of the living Bible according to Richard here. God uses pain. And every one of us should be mature enough to recognize when I'm having a hard time, this could be God equipping me for other good things, but it could also be God saying, wake up. I want you to walk closer with me. I want you to step in line with me. These people didn't do it. They won't do it. Their hearts are so hardened. I'm talking to a group of folks who hopefully your heart is not that hardened. And we've got to recognize that sometimes God puts us, taps us back into the center because God is giving us opportunity to follow him closely. God is going to get his justice. He deserves his justice. His holiness demands that justice is there. But in the midst of pulling that justice, God always gives opportunity to come back, to come home. You and I, that's something for all of us to think about. That's something for us to spend 30 minutes thinking about. Because when heaven saw what God was doing, they all held their breath and were silent for 30 minutes. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to just walk through very sobering information. Stuff that you are going to do, Father, uh, to this earth, to the people on this earth. And, uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to learn the lesson. Although I don't believe any of us will be here if we've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Father, the lesson that these people are going to be enduring, uh, I pray, Father, each of us could recognize it. Father, I, I pray that you would give us that confidence when we see so much injustice that you've got this, and you are going to make all things right. Vengeance is yours, and uh, we don't need to uh, do any more than what you've called us to in the exercise of that justice. 
So help us just to be right in step with you on that. But Father, too, I pray that you would help us to, to just be honest with ourselves. Because, Father, sometimes we do wander away. And sometimes we, we do need that gentle tap from you that calls us back in. Father, help us not to just easily, intellectually dismiss stuff and therefore excuse our, our carnality, our wandering, our lack of uh, discipline and uh, faithfulness to you. I pray, Father, you would help us to be people who are really sober and vigilant in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for uh, this truth, hard truth. But Lord, I pray that today we would step up and receive it well and be different, be more Christ-like because of it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.